Recorded live. So now we come to our discussion of the Big Twelve Conference, but I'm going to I'm going to obviously first have to acknowledge the passing of Muhammad Ali, who affected two, maybe three generations of human beings whether they be sports fans or not, whether they be athletes or not. And I had the opportunity to run across and uh, be directly affected by him, at least slightly, uh, once when I was very, very young and, and really don't have a lot of memory of it, but while he was not able to box, he was uh, you know, intentionally banned while he fought uh, the charges that stemmed from his failure to report for the draft, and, uh, you know, he lost, obviously, a good portion of his, of his career, and then, and then, later I, I had the opportunity to meet him when I was a little bit older and had much more of a memory of him and of the experience uh, through a man named Thomas Rosala, who was an actor, uh, had a lot of uh, stage credits, and then was in a fair number of black exploitation movies in the 70s. And he had helped to arrange a speaking engagement and a fundraising dinner. And this was, you know, at the end of Ali's, shortly after the end of Ali's boxing career. And he spoke briefly, and then was available for signings and autographs and things like that. And I got a chance to to actually meet him and speak to him briefly. And then the last time I saw the champ, um, it was informal and accidental. He had two twin daughters that attended the University of Illinois, and a friend of mine was dating one of his daughters at the time, or sort of dating. Uh, the, he was carefully kind of dating, I guess, uh, Rashid Ali. And she, believe it or not, at the time actually worked at a McDonald's uh, near the campus on Green Street in New York, Illinois. And apparently her father surprised her. I, I, apparently, as far as I could tell, she didn't know he was coming, and he rather unexpectedly showed up on campus to see her. And, uh, you know, he... Didn't expect either, I guess, to you know to meet with anybody or talk to anybody, but he did at least briefly spend a little time with uh, a few people, and he spent a little time uh, just sort of briefly shook some hands, uh, talked a little bit. I I mentioned that I'd met him once before, and you know he got back in the car and the driver took him away. The the loss of Muhammad Ali has not so much to do with who he literally was, you know, as a boxing champion or as a as an athlete, because we've had, you know, several, especially in the last several years, several prominent boxers in several different weight divisions who were great. We've, you know, people got excited about Tyson, so for somewhat different reasons. 
but he didn't affect an entire nation and really an entire planet the way that Muhammad Ali did. In Muhammad Ali, you had a person who helped to change the entire world and represented an important change within our particular country at a time when the civil rights movement was beginning to hit its peak, at a time when athletes athletes began for maybe the first time in a long time to express themselves in a way that in a way that they previously had. You rarely would see athletes discuss almost anything uh, other than their sport. Obviously, you had Jackie Robinson a generation or so earlier emerge as a champion regarding civil rights. And at first, he did so just by his mere existence, and then obviously later, he began to actually take to the speaking engagements as well. But for the most part, he hewed pretty closely to uh, the center of, I think, what most Americans expected, despite the fact that he did challenge white supremacy and he did challenge, you know, the system to some extent. Uh, the difference with Ali is that he went from being, you went from being, uh, you know, a beloved you know, sort of figure of fun to some extent very early in his career where people were astonished by his talent, which was uh, otherworldly. And by his, you know, by the fact he was very brash, which was to some extent new, uh, not just for black athletes, but for athletes as a whole, you know. Mickey Mantle wasn't the guy that, you know, called people out or you didn't hear, you know, you didn't hear, I mean, Jim Brown, though he was a very proud and, and he was a somewhat stoic figure. People feared him. Uh, a few sports fans in Cleveland probably loved him because of what he did on field. I don't know how much they identified with Jim Brown as a person, as a man. But you had Ali near the peak of his popularity, at least his early popularity, and he had a couple of different careers. Even within his boxing career, he had about three separate entire careers. And then his career as a humanitarian and as a man and as uh, everything else stretched, you know, forward and backwards many, 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 many years, you know, in ways that... uh, Frankly, none of us can even quantify. So now as you view uh, the career of Muhammad Ali in retrospect, it's easy to see, or at least it's possible to see, how his life and career touched upon, you know, that of uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, uh, with whom he was fairly close, at least at times in his career. What's less obvious is how not only every boxer since him, uh, but how every athlete since him has owed him a debt of gratitude in terms of changing the, the math, changing the, the calculus 
And so athletes still occasionally hit with the shut up and play or shut up and box or shut up and hit or shut up and whatever line when they start to talk about politics, world events, all the other things that other people talk about. They sometimes still get hit with that. But there's a different expectation and, as I said, a different calculation regarding the previous separation there had been between, you know, the the culture and the sport. Now the culture and the sport have – culture and sports are no longer forced apart the same way. We now are facing the fact that the two of them are often together. One way or the other, they are often together. So that's, you know, that's most of my Ali's story. I mean, there's a few few little details I didn't mention, including the fact that uh, my rather courageous friend, uh, Michael, who was dating one of Ali's daughters, who was a fairly talented actor, but he ended up becoming a lawyer, uh, actually once did an impression of Ali while while in uh, McDonald's where Rashida worked. You know, it was well-timed and well-carried out, so you got to laugh, and I guess that's what matters. We've talked previously about the Baylor situation and what that probably will represent for the Big 12. And so the Big 12 finds itself uh, perhaps decapitated, at least partially in terms of one of the teams that people expected to be great. If indeed there's been a loss of a top five, top ten, even top 25 team, if Baylor ceases to even be a top 25 team, that can't help but change the perception of the Big 12 as a conference, which has been sort of struggling to redefine itself. So if Oklahoma State and Oklahoma are both really great programs this year and going forward, that certainly helps them. It takes some of the sting out of uh, Baylor if they do take a giant step back this year. But we will certainly see if that is part of the story of the Big 12 this year. And then can another team emerge? Can a, a third option arise? You know, can a Texas or Texas Tech? Can anybody else? push itself at least into the, the tier of contender. So that's uh, that's a legitimate question and an important question in this immediate future of the conference. And this could potentially be a watershed year because if both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are national championship contenders. So they're both top five teams, which is possible. The conference is going to be viewed one way. If Oklahoma is a team that goes 10-2 and or something like that, and then all the other teams in the conference are 9-3 and or less, there will be a clear demarcation this year where the Big 12 will be seen as not only beneath the SEC, but also the ACC and the Big Ten. 
and this would be a position that they do not want to inhabit. And that's, that's going to be tough for them if that does happen. The good news, as mentioned earlier, is that they have a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate in the conference, uh, maybe more than one, Oklahoma with uh, Baker Mayfield and Tomash Pirine, who are both tremendous players. There's going to be at least probably another couple of players that have first-round grades coming out of the conference. Baylor, despite what's happened, still has a lot of talent. They have two very talented running backs. They have two very talented quarterbacks. Uh, their defense, as we say this almost every year, will be the determining factor and, of course, obviously, how the team adapts to being coached by the person who's practically a stranger to them are all the things that are going to decide if this team still shows up, in essence, or if what has happened ends up derailing not only their, their season, but perhaps their program overall for a while. And that could legitimately happen. They could legitimately run into essentially a wall uh, that turns their program you know, back on itself, uh, sends it back in a, you know, another direction uh, from going onward and upward, which is where they were headed previously, to dropping off as a program and returning sort of to being a, a program that accelerates bowl eligibility. And then equally as important, this year is very important for Texas Tech, which at one point was one of those sort of flavor of the month teams that people were expecting to take that step, similar to the step Baylor took a few years ago. And if Patrick Mahomes can essentially become Baylor's Robert Griffin III, that helps them to redefine their program to the extent that they become a legitimate national contender this year, or at least a Big 12 contender, if that can happen, what does that mean in the short and long term for a Texas Tech program that has, well, I can tell you at least for the 40-plus years that I've been watching them, has always been seen as a, you know, at various times a program on the come, a program people were expecting things out of, but never quite closed the deal. That is a perception, fair or unfair, of that program. and despite having, you know, one of the hot, hip young coaches in all of college football in Cliff Kingsbury, uh, there's a sense, once again, of there being more promised than delivered still. This is a chance for them to change that, and uh, they might benefit, in fact, uh, if not in terms of actual transfers. Certainly, probably in recruiting, they're going to benefit in that they're another wide-open offense that doesn't have Baylor's current baggage it going into recruitment, this could certainly mean maybe some players who oh, have committed to Baylor, if they reopen their commitment, if they're open to the idea of playing in such an offense, and there's a good chance that they are, if they're an offensive player, that their Baylor commitment may have likely been based, if not entirely, at least part on playing in a, you know, something happens every 12 seconds kind of offense, and Texas Tech can at least replicate that. So will this benefit them? 
and will have been offensive enough? I guess it's really the better question, so that they can push themselves up into that next spot in the conference. They find themselves in the, the number three hole, maybe. Or Texas, where resources and recruitment have never really been the question. The questions at Texas have been more about attitude and commitment and accountability. How badly does Texas want to get back to being Texas? And Charlie Strong has at times directly challenged his players about doing things the right way and how much this matters or does not matter to them and how much do they care. So let's sort of take a walk through the conference, right? And see who's who's who and what's what. Uh, the Big 12 is like the Big 10 with the Big discussed recently, a conference that has a, a numbers problem. Uh, the Big 10, despite being called the Big 10, has well more than 10 players, uh, players, 10 uh, members, and then we have sort of a reverse situation where the Big 12 is missing a couple of uh, a couple of teams, and the one they miss the most obviously is Texas A&M in terms of prominence and interest. So they they at some point. Uh, Despite the fact that they seem not to be in any hurry to re-expand, I'm convinced that sometime in the next few years they will go out and find another team or two to fill out their roster and get back to having a championship game and all that other good stuff. So, how's the Big 12? Uh, Let's start with the the have-nots. For year in and year out, uh, Iowa State, you know, the story is always respectability and bowl eligibility. And when Iowa State accomplishes those two things, that's a good year. Uh, that's, frankly, what they they build around. Uh, I don't think anyone internally or externally legitimately expects championships at the conference level of youth not in football, nor to really seriously contend for national championships in Ames. And it's not the fault of the players or the coach. There are structural imbalances in the conference itself, and you have to temper your expectations. And temper, sorry, temper, temper your expectations. And those expectations down in Ames are pretty much tempered. I think that if that team contends, I think that for the most part, you know, a game over 500 is considered a good year. If you can get two games over 500, you are doing a great job. If you manage to get three games over 500 and you do it more than once, you're probably going to be coaching someplace else. I guess is what, uh, what really comes out of that. They are looking to move make that move at least to where they're consistently contending or consistently making bold. And that's really what years are about, seasons are about uh, for the, the Cyclones. And should someone manage to, to break through, and like I said, breaking through there is eight or nine wins, if you do that twice, it's extremely unlikely that you'll continue to coach there. Uh, this is it unfortunately has become a scare step job for coaches. If you are good, if you do well, I mean, Dean Chivik didn't even do well 
uh, or at least not that well, while he was at Iowa State. And still, it was parlayed into a, a chance to coach at Auburn in a national championship. So you don't necessarily have to be killing it. Uh, they've had good coaches. Dan McCartney, uh they, you know, they just uh, have just been battling. And, and Matt Campbell is young and exciting and energetic and comes from winning. And, you know, Coach Rhodes is a, a guy that a lot of people were excited about. And his team apparently just absolutely loved him for everything I've been able to discover in my conversations with people around the program and players that played there. Uh, that they absolutely loved it. And I think the good news, if you're looking for the good news, is that I think they might get a recruiting boost of Coach Campbell coming in. And like I said, he's he's a very hardworking, energetic coach. I certainly expect good things from them. Uh, the offensive line had been a problem, and uh, Jake Campos, one of the few stars returning back, coming off an injury. They brought in a good staff, also the coaching staff. So I expect some development. Watch out for Nick Fett to have a, a good closeout to his sort of a slow developing player to have a, a good end to his collegiate career. Uh, you can also look out for. Uh, uh, what is the last first name? Uh, Scoggins. Um, there's another offensive lineman that sort of caught my eye a little bit last year. They they have pieces. Uh, the problem is the number of pieces, and then usually the team runs into something of you know a pretty serious lack of depth. But uh, Patrick, Pat, Pat Scoggins, right, and Julian Good Good Jones are probably the guys are going to build around. Good Jones is just a redshirt freshman. Harrison Green, a junior college transfer, junior college transfer is someone that they expect to help. Uh, J.P. Filbert is a guy that at the very least will be depth and has a chance maybe to uh, see the field as well. Uh, Joel Lanning is like many of their other recent quarterbacks, Sam Richards and others, a guy who has good feet, can, can hurt you running, and is a an improving passer. Mike Warren should see the ball quite a bit, and that's a chance to to be a impact player as a runner. Uh, Jim Hoff, Hoffner, Hoffer sorry, likes landing, and they're expected to give him the opportunity to, to run quite a bit. He's the clear-cut guy. He had 12,047 yards passing, 10 touchdowns and four interceptions last year, which... Once again, not that it all be insulting, but when you consider the situation he was in, very impressive. Also at 330 yards rushing and four touchdowns, and I think he will be more accurate this year. They are changing defenses, which is often fraught with challenges under the best of circumstances. So the, the Leo position, that uh, drop end, as we used to call him back in the old days, is that player that will hopefully be an effective pass rusher, but also will will play sort of a combination defensive end, outside linebacker kind of role. And getting the right player to play that position and play it at a high level is incredibly important. Watch out for Willie Harvey. Uh, he might be, if not their best, only one of their best players on defense. Uh, John Heacock, their uh, D coordinator and safeties coach, 
is trying to get them up to uh, up to spring, up to spring, up to uh, is trying to get them up to speed for the spring game. But you can see there's still some hesitation at times. Gabriel Luna is apparently the player that will likely be lining up at the Leo position. Uh, Alan Lazard is a guy who's also been coming off of injury. They're excited about Seb Noland, who may have a chance to be their their second string quarterback. And it's just a simple issue of two things. They need to have some players improve, get better physically and mentally from what they've had in the past. And then they've just got to get lucky, frankly, a couple of times. They've got to have some things go the right way for them. Or, you know, they'll be back looking at, you know, a four or five win season. But I think that a combination of Matt Campbell's energy and, uh, like I said, it's his understanding of what it takes to win has a chance to to change the the fortunes, if not this season, then soon. Uh, and once again, you know, changing the fortunes means probably more on the lines of a chance to be, you know, a seven or eight win team year in and year out with a chance to jump up maybe from that point. A couple of people also worthy of looking, uh, you know, sort of keeping your eye out for. Uh, David Montgomery and Kenny uh, Nwangu are guys that are, even though very young, might have a chance to push some people. Uh, Sheldon Crony Jr. is a guy that may see some time at running back as well, as well as Clifford Kwaminsa is a player I think will, even if he's not a starter, I think will make some impact plays. And uh, Brian Bonacci. Trevor Rayan is a guy that might be a wide receiver or might be in the running back depth chart. He's been sort of moved back and forth. Carson Epps has looked pretty good. Uh, the other wide receivers to watch out for are Juwan Wesley and Andre Daly. And like I said, I think anything, I think five wins is certainly break even. Anything over five wins is enormously important. I mean, that would signal a really dramatic change of events, turn of events, if they could somehow get to the point where they, they you know, had that level of success. This is also a massively important year for, for Kansas State. Now, Kansas State has a very different history, both recent and non-recent, you know, going back a while. They've been a successful program, with the exception of a few years, pretty much every year for almost a quarter century. And obviously they had struggled a bit during the Ron Prince era, and, you know, certainly some things have happened where they haven't always had a tremendous level of success, but it's been a consistently good program for a long time. And this is a year where this could be the last year, obviously, of the, the Hall of Fame coaching career of Bill Snyder. Obviously, when your coach gets to be the age that Coach Snyder is, he reevaluates at the end of every season. And the last couple of years, he's thought about it and decided to come back. I think if there's a really tough year, I mean, if it's a really tough season, you know, if you're hit with a lot of problems and struggle. I get the feeling that he's probably getting closer to the point in his career where he probably will feel less like dealing with that. 
and may ride off into the sunset. Or you can look at it the opposite way. You know, if they win a championship and he has a chance to go out on top, I guess by the same token, he could decide at that point to ride off into the sunset. But yes, at this point in, in Coach Snyder's career, coaching is a year-to-year consideration. I think he decides based on how he feels physically and mentally as much as wins, losses, or anything else. I think, you know, his own health, energy level, and things like that are probably the real determining factors. And the man seems to still feel good physically, as far as I as far as I know, and seems to still love coaching. And that much is pretty readily apparent uh, that he's, you know, there's not too many hills left to climb, and with the exception of playing for a national championship, there's not a whole, less, whole lot else left that he could want to accomplish as a coach. But I think he would like to go out on top. You know, I think that's something he would he would definitely want the chance to uh, to do. I can I can imagine that. You know, he clearly is a, like I said, I mean, he knows more about football. He's forgotten more about football than most people ever know. Uh, and I, I think his legacy is secure. So he's coaching now based on if he wants to coach. That's <laughs> what it's based on. Uh, Joe Eumner, Brian Pringle, Corey Sutton, and Deontay Burton are the first four quarterbacks on the depth chart. Eumner seems to very, I'm sorry, um, uh, Pringle is actually, sorry about that. Um, Joe Huebner is the, clearly the guy at quarterback. And Alex Delton and Jesse Ertz are the guys next to the guy, the guys around the guy. Uh, but, yeah, uh, he has some good targets in Brian Pringle and Corey Sutton made a couple of uh, good plays that made you feel that you know they might have um, something in him. Uh, Deontay Burton has talent. Blaze Gammon might indicate they have a threat, perhaps, the tight end position. Uh, Jesse Ertz might be the best runner. Well, I guess even he and Dalton might be the two best runners at the position, at the quarterback position. And we could see Ertz even in some some, uh, packages. Some people think Ertz might even win the job. It'll probably come down to Ertz and Eubner. Uh Justin Silman, Dalvin Warnick, Brogan Berry are all guys that are likely to be in the mix. Charles Jones, uh, if he's 100% healthy, will probably get the majority of the carries. And then sort of depth guys will include Terrence Richards and Tyler Burns. Uh, I mentioned... Pringle, who has a chance to be one of those players that breaks through this season. He's a good player, and he has a chance to be an all-conference player. He's got good size and good speed, good catch radius and hands. Uh, Dominic Heath, as well, is a guy that definitely has flashed some things. I mentioned Delton and uh, Burton previously, and Reader. Corey Sutton, who is a you know, I think 18-year-old 
showed some things as well. So that's that's a guy that that's something I think people want to keep an eye on. Um, Isaiah Zuber and Dizel Goolsby are two other guys that have a chance. And I mentioned uh, Blaze Gammon apparently will give them a threat. If, you know, they utilize the tight ends in the passing game. He's shown the ability to run good routes, flash good hands. Uh, Dalton Risner is a sort of anchor on their on their defense. Uh, Reed Niver, the brother of uh, former tight end Jordan Niver, looks like he's going to be playing center. Additionally, you'll see Scott France, Will Ash, and then some other guys sort of in contention: Twelve Johnson, Abdul Beecham. Briante Matthews is coming up from junior college. He's a guy that may challenge one of the tackle spots or maybe kicked inside. The booking most likely likely will be France, Johnson, Risner, Beachman, Matthews, probably the initial starting five. But should they have any health concerns or somebody just get flat beat out, uh, you could possibly see Matthews hit the field. And this is, you know, I keep, I keep saying this, this is another team that really development of their defense will decide if this is a good season or a great season. Dante Barnett is coming off of injury and is the main team captain. Duke Shelley may be the best pure athlete they, they have in their starting defense. If you're looking for sort of an emerging younger player, watch out for Jonathan Durham. Uh, Donnie Starks is another guy who will likely, if not start, then see time in rotation. Don Michelle Moore and Eliza Lee are solid, if not spectacular. Will Davis doing us to run. Doesn't look like he has a lot of understanding of pass coverage. Uh, Sam Sizelove is another guy who might see some rotational time off the linebackers. Will Geary will be one of the anchors in the middle, along with Terry Deshaun and Matt Seward. Craig Settles Jr. will be another rotational guy, most likely. Uh, they have lost some guys. DeMonte Hood and Bryce English on their D-line being one of the most notable losses, and we'll see if they can return. Jordan Willis and Davis Clark will likely be manning the end position. Tanner Wood is a guy who will probably see some rotational time, and Lilo Lomwa is likely to see a little time as well. Reggie Walker is a guy that has a chance also to see some, some time as a rotational player. I would love to see Kansas State uh, send off, especially once again, you know, we have Baylor down, probably down this year. I would love to see Kansas State send off uh, their Hall of Fame coach with a big-time season where they, you know, are a 10-win team. I don't know if they have the talent, but that's always the question. I mean, you always look at Kansas State and think, do they do they have the talent? Uh, and often is not the answer is yes. Is not yes. Uh, as often as not the answer is no. Uh, that they don't have the talent to get all the way to a Big 12 championship game or, you know, win double-digit games. They, frankly, just as, you know, the you need sort of everything to go absolutely right for, as I mentioned, with Iowa State to get to seven wins, they need everything to go right. To get to 10 wins or 11 wins, you need everything to go right at Kansas State. They need to stay healthy. They need to, you know, beat some teams that can put out better and more athletes than they can, and, yeah, they'll need a little bit of luck. Uh, I'm expecting a 
probably a seven or eight win season. During the state and conference affiliation, you have the Jayhawks, who would be thrilled to have a seven or eight win season, obviously. Uh, they Winning seasons are very, very hard to come by in Lawrence. This could turn into one of those jobs, the coaching job at Kansas State, one of those jobs that helps to launch people, move people upwards. A successful coach, and once again, you know, 500, essentially is a successful coach. If you can manage the database, you can manage, you know, to have six and six, seven and five type seasons, he will be successful. He will be extremely successful. He will get contract extensions and they'll be trying to fight off the attempts of other teams to lure him away. You know, so that will be the the challenge, in fact, if he does have a certain level of success, is just to see if you can keep him as your coach. Now, that being said, said, they, in terms of raw talent, this is probably one of the better rosters they've had which is still a, a relative term, to be perfectly honest. I mean, there's still a better roster for them are still guys that wouldn't start for most of the other teams in the conference. They probably have only a handful of guys who would crack the two deep at Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. So that's still the the line of demarcation they have to cross is getting to the point where more than half of your players – that you have on your TD, 2D would be on the 2D of the top two or three teams in the conference. And that thus far still is not the case, and that's the challenge for them. But just looking at the, the team that's currently constituted, uh, Montel Covart is a good athlete, not a super accurate passer. So that's an issue, quite frankly because they're not a team that can just, you know, run the ball down someone's throat. I would look out for guys like uh, Joe Devine on defense. Coach Beatty is getting back involved in play calling, apparently. And, you know, they're running air raid, allowing the quarterback to make some adjustments to calls in the line of scrimmage, and that may take a while. Also, LaQuaviante Gonzalez, I'm pretty sure I got that right, uh, is a guy that I think we can expect to make an impact. He's a transfer from Texas A&M. Might be one of their better targets on, on offense. Uh, Hudson Hall, Cameron Wasser, and Steven Robinson are all solid contributors on defense. Uh, Carter Stanley and Ryan Willis are all guys that are, are in contention for that quarterback job. I think they like Ryan Willis, the, the starter from last year, to win out. Uh, Cozart and Stanley are not as far along mentally, clearly. And, of course, uh, the team, you know, had lost a teammate, or the recent teammate, when Brandon Brabon was found dead uh, not too long ago. But, yes, this is a team that... Uh, frankly, if they get to 500, it's, it would be enormously important. I mean, I, I mean, just I don't know how else to put it. A 500 season is 
extraordinarily successful for them. And if they can indeed, if they're 500 football game, you know, I just, it would be one of the things that would be an absolute springboard. It would absolutely launch that program. And, you know, who knows what would happen after that. It's just the challenge and the difficulty is getting to, to 500, right? Getting, climbing that hill to get to 500. Uh, moving onward to Texas Tech. This is one of those teams that has a chance to, you know, like they used to say in the game show, if you if, if the other team, you know, missed a question, you'd have a chance to uh, steal, you know, make the steal for the, and get the points. They have a chance to get the steal, not only in terms of stepping into the, the possible hole that Baylor ceases to be a contender in the conference, a chance to step into that hole it also gives an opportunity to to literally almost almost literally step into uh the hole that uh has been created in terms of just the uh players, you know, like I said, the ability to find players that otherwise probably would have gone to Baylor. You have to talk offense when you talk Texas Tech. They have an offensive-minded coach. They have a possible first-round talent, a quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. Even though you know, Jakeen Grant's not walking that door anymore, they still have playmakers in their running back slash receiving core. There are legitimate questions about their defense, which you could say pretty much every single year. And... They still have tremendous speed. Um, you know, in, in Stockton, they have probably one of the top 10 to 20 fastest players in all of college football. So they could be one of them. Uh, if Mahomes continues to develop, if he becomes a a player who's a you know, Heisman Trophy finalist kind of season, whether he's legitimately, whether he actually becomes one, if he plays like one, this team is likely to win a lot of football games. Additionally, uh, they have a few other, you know, sort of opportunities to continue to get better as a team. Uh, as I mentioned, Justin Stockton is, is a special talent. Uh, Cameron Batson is another player that has a chance to be more than, you know, just a spot player this year. Good receiver, a guy who you can at times line up in the backfield uh, similar to what West Virginia used to do with uh, with Austin. And uh, Cibolo Steele is another guy that can be a playmaker. So they, they don't lack for, for possible big-time talents to replace. I mean, Deontay Washington almost had 1,500 yards. So there will be plenty of opportunities to fill that hole. And Jakeem Grant, obviously, you know, They'll miss him, but there's another there's opportunities for people to step into the like I said the hole that he made. Uh, backups for Mahomes include uh, Payne Sullins and you can look for on defense uh, Kashawn Allen and Lonzel Gilmore uh, amongst the running back core uh, Corey Dolphine. There's another guy to watch out for, a talent as well, though he's had some ball security issues in um, 
in the past. But that's something I'm sure the coaches are working on. This, if this is a 9-10 win season, that will still be a success, obviously. If this is an 8-win season, that's sort of a break-even point for Texas Tech nowadays. If it's a 7-win season, the bloom will very much be off the rose for Kingsbury, and possibly um, he could be in some trouble, uh, despite all of the, you know, Coach Hanson and whatever else you want to say. Uh, a lot of the bloom will be off that rose. So, gun to my head, I think this might be a nine-win team. They'll they'll need a couple of things to uh, you know to break the right way for them, quite frankly. And in 2017, they'll be you know returning to having a championship game, which potentially could help the conference just in terms of its national perception and who and what and how things will work for them nationally. But it obviously remains to be seen. It's still sort of an open question as to, you know, what the long-term perception, like I said, will be for the uh, for them. Um, I'll probably say Baylor at the end just, for a variety of reasons, uh, there's a lot, a lot to report. Obviously, a lot to report, and you know, like I said, clearly OU and and uh, and Oklahoma State are sort of the odds-on for for you know, obvious reasons. They're sort of the odds-on expectations that they'll be contending for the championship, and it would be legitimate and, and logical to expect. Uh, that that would be the case. For me, sort of trying to figure out that next, you know, obviously we talked about Texas as a chance to having a step into that that next level. Um, But West Virginia is another team that has a legitimate chance to step up and fill the gap, fill the hole. Uh, they obviously lost Carl Joseph and, you know, some other important players to their program, but they're bringing back people like to kill shorts, Shelton Gibson, Skylar Howard, their quarterback, uh, Christian Brown, Noah Wachku. Uh, they did lose KJ Dillon as well. And uh, Kwiatkowski, you know, one of the leaders on defense. Shaq Petaway, so yeah, they Ricky Rumpf, uh, Terrell Chestnut, so they lost quite a bit on defense. And, you know, not shockingly, the ability to restock, reload, uh, get their defense playing at a high level will be important. They have some youngsters that came in last year they're expecting to get some things out of, including a cornerback, Rasul Douglas, uh, cornerback Tarek Cole. Uh, both, both our guys have a chance to see the field some this year. Uh, Javon Durante at wide receiver is another guy with talent. So some things will need to happen for them, but is there a potential for them to be a? Let's just take a look here. Nine or ten win team? Yes, I think they legitimately have a shot as well to be a nine or ten win team. So 
Coach Holgerson, you know, sixth year, uh, this is a chance to be a breakout year. A lot of the, the weight, a lot of the expectations for this team will fall on Coach Gibson on defense and the development of some of the young talent on defense. If indeed they can get great play, you know, I mean, if that defense is a team that generates a lot of turnovers. I mean, obviously you play defense, great defense in the Big 12 <laughs> means something a little different than it might in other places. And quite frankly, great defense, playing great defense in the Big 12 means getting turnovers. That's essentially what it comes down to. Are you getting turnovers? If you're getting a lot of turnovers, you have a legitimate chance uh, to be up there with, you know, Texas Christian and the two Oklahoma schools. So that brings me now to Texas, the Longhorns. Uh, this is this this is it, I think. I mean, in terms of, I think a lot of the patience, and not that they're that patient, <laughs> frankly, but but they've been patient-ish uh, with Coach Strong, and uh, my sort of general expectation, my general assumption, is that. They will be better. The question of just how much better is enormously important. Um, I don't. I don't know what else to say about that. It is enormously important. This has to be a, a nine or ten win season. Eight wins may not be enough to do it, and obviously seven on down spells, in my mind, the end of the era, uh, the strong era at Texas. So, looking at Texas, uh, they have maybe a couple of questions to answer on offense, but with Coach Strong's pedigree as a defensive thinker, and some of the talent they've brought in on defense, the expectation for almost anyone, uh, <laughs> for almost all, for almost anyone you might imagine, uh, the expectation is that whatever they are or are not this year is likely going to come down to what their defense does or does not do. To put it very cleanly and very, very succinctly, that if this is the best defense in the conference, and there's reasons to believe they have a legitimate chance to be the best defense in the conference. If Texas fields the conference's best defense, they have a legitimate chance to be a nine or ten win team. And as you know, has been said multiple times, that would be the least acceptable. <laughs> you know, that would be the least expectation. Um, for fans and boosters and, you know, the the people who run the program. I think they legitimately believe this is a team that should have a legitimate chance to win it all. So Texas looked close. I mean, they're a third year under the, you know, under Coach Strong. They've looked like they've improved every year that he's been there, which helps. I mean, it means something. Uh, Tyrone Swoops is a senior. He's being pushed hard, obviously, uh, for his job. 
uh, heard is smaller, quicker, uh, not a super passer, but accurate and quick. One of those guys will, will clearly emerge and have to do big-ish things, I guess, is the term I'm looking for. Uh, Marcus Johnson returns, MJ McFarland. Um, you can expect to see Amante Foreman, DeCorey Warwick. Are all guys they expect to uh, to make something of an impact in Ty Templin, amongst others. Uh, Texas is expecting, obviously, big things from youngsters like Chris Warren at running back, Malik Jefferson, and Anthony Wheeler at linebacker. This is going to be a physical team. They have to be a physical team. Uh, they're also hoping that Kyle Lox, Loxley can make an impact. Frankly, they need sophomore and freshman players to play great. Not just well, not just okay, not just so-so. They need great play from young players. If they can get great, great play from a lot of their younger players, this is a team that is right there because there's not a talent gap between Baylor and Texas, Texas A&M and Texas, or Oklahoma State and Texas, and maybe even Oklahoma. I mean, those two are at least very, very close in terms of in terms of just you know, talent, number of four- and five-star recruits. Texas has never struggled, you know, in that area. The one area they haven't struggled is just getting players. Uh, the spring game opened some eyes to some things and, you know, sort of raised some concerns in other ways. Uh, they had weather that kept them from being able to complete their spring game, so they only got through, you know, half of it. But it confirmed some things and, like I said, raised legitimate questions about others. If you're looking for the good news, um, you know, like I said, uh, heard swoops, and, and of course, the, the youngster, Shane Bichelle, all looked good. And Sterling Gilbert may help them uh, sort of goose that offense to be a little more productive. Uh, Antoine Davis made a really nice play. I mentioned Amante Foreman earlier. Uh, Lorenzo Joe is another guy that made an impact. And uh, Deontay Foreman saw some, some duty as well. John Burt is another guy that potentially could be their number, not their number one, maybe their number two receiver, five-speed guy. Uh, Deshaun Elliott, Flash, Quincy Vassar as well. It just comes down to uh, just what they become. And health, um, you know, Bryce Cottrell, Dylan Haynes, Jason Hall, Gerard Hurd, Kirk Johnson, Matthew Merrick, Derek Robinson, Dalton uh, Santos, Jordan Strickland, Ty Chimplin. Mike Welsh and Blake Whiteley are all guys that got nicked during the spring. They need almost every single one of those guys to contribute this year. And like I said, uh, for them to to get to double digits, or at least, like I said, nine, I think nine wins would make Coach Swoop safe in terms of going forward. I think anything less than that, he's not 100% assured of getting to continue. It's going to be a fascinating fascinating year for a bunch of reasons for them. And I, for one, will be very interested to see uh, what happens, you know, what 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 this team looks like soon, you know, in, in just a few years. 
if, you know, if Charlie Strong continued. Now, if they end up starting over again, then to some extent, you know, that would push them back. So I'm hoping to give him at least a couple more years, but like I said, that's all contingent upon how this year plays out. Uh, Texas Christian has one of the great coaches in all of college football, Gary Patterson, a guy that, you know, originally was known as a defensive guy, defensive coach, and Texas Christian was a very defensive team early in his his regime, and, of course, things change. Uh, he, he realized that to win in the Big 12, you can't count on holding people to 20 or 24 or even 27 points uh, that you'd like to, but there will be two or three times a year where you're in a shootout, maybe even more. And you want to be able to win shootouts as well. So this is now a team that can win shootouts. And they have one of the more well-known quarterbacks in all college football. Uh, the artist formerly known as Kenny Trill, Kenny Hill, is still part of a, uh, a controversy competition, whatever term you prefer, at the quarterback spot. He's clearly the best-known quarterback. And then Foster Sawyer is a guy that we saw some of last year in, in the bowl game. As always, they still have talent. Um, Grayson Nielsen is another guy that saw some time in Todd Williams, the junior college transfer. Um, is expected to see the field some, and he actually lost some things at wide receiver. Jeff Gladney is a guy that a lot of people are excited about. Um, he might start in the secondary, at least see time in the secondary early on. Uh, Deontay Gray is another guy that people expect things out of on the offensive side of the ball. Siwu Olonui, I think I got that, um, is a guy who has, once again, like many young running backs and ball security issues, but is a fast kid with some moves, you know, some speed, some power. Uh, TCU is usually one of the more predictable teams in terms of, you know, coming out and being what you expect most of the time. You don't see too many huge drop-offs, even though they've obviously lost a lot of talent. Uh, you know, having lost guys like Kendrick and Boykin and even Kohlhausen, you know, the last year's uh, second stringer, Aaron Green, uh, Vatai on the offensive line, Nass and Thompson from the offensive line, Joey Hunt, uh, Foles. I mean, <laughs> that's the big question for offensive line. Uh, they've Kobe Wissenby as well from the receiving core is gone. Uh, Deontay Gray gone and Josh Dobson gone. So, and even Juwan's story. So there's a lot of new faces on offense. I'm expecting TC to take a step back. I don't think it'll be a huge step back. I could see them being, you know, a contender to stay in that third area. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they can sort of continue to soldier on. Kyle Hicks and Shavaris Johnson and other guys that you might expect to, uh, to maybe break through a little bit and make an impact. But there's definitely room uh, for people to to assert themselves. Um, I think Slanina transferred out, if memory serves it correctly. So I think he's gone as well. Josh Caraway, we know they got to watch on defense. Sammy Douglas, another name to keep an eye out on. I don't, uh, I don't for, but this is 
just because it's, it's TC, I don't expect a huge drop-off, but I do expect for them to falter a little bit. They're looking at probably... Probably an eight or nine win season. I guess I'd probably say nine, sort of off the top of my head, which is not an unsuccessful season, or at least not for, for most programs, but it's a step backwards. I mean, there's no two ways around it. It's a step backwards for their program. And the team that they'll really be battling out sort of for that third, fourth spot is with Baylor. Uh, we we spent some time talking about what's happened to Baylor as a program and, and the, the losses that they've suffered as a program. Clearly, for Baylor, this has been, you know, a traumatic last few days. Uh, not as traumatic as it was for the, the actual victims, and that needs to be remembered. That, that That's who the real, if you have sympathy, have it for those young women. Uh, what's happened to anyone else? Well, certainly it's unfortunate. It's not tragic. What's happened to the young women in question, that's tragic. They carry that their entire lives. And unfortunately, it will probably never be something that isn't continuing to affect every part of... I mean, it's it's difficult to explain. And I've never, luckily, obviously, been involved directly in anything like it, but I certainly have known young women who have been victims. And, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but those are the victims. Those are the people we should be concerned about. Ah, getting back to the team, um, two running backs are expected to to make a huge impact. Uh, senior Shock Linwood and junior Johnny Jefferson are expected to be a great one-two punch, and they have something of a one-two-three punch to some extent at quarterback with Steedham, Johnson, and Russell. And no matter who plays quarterback, they are likely to to be solid. Uh, on the offensive line, you can look out for guys like Tanner Swift, uh, Kyle Fuller, Blake Blackmar, Rami Ahmad, Ishmael Washington, not Washington, Wilson, sorry. Um, Siobhan Armstead, who is big, but not as big as Laquan McGowan, is likely to see a lot of time at a tight end. Lynx Hawthorne, who was one of the emergency quarterbacks last year, expects to be back to his usual spot at wide receiver. Davion Hall, KD Cannon, Chris Platt, Ishmael Zamora. They don't have any problems at wide receiver. Uh, despite losing a great player like Corey Coleman, they will be just fine. Uh, Blake Lynch, a wide receiver, and Jamichael Hasty at running back are other guys that might make an impact this year as well. And not surprisingly on defense is where the quote real questions are. Brian Nance, uh, Andrew Morris, Byron Bonds, KJ Smith, Taylor Young, uh, Avion Edwards, Raquan Davis, Tremont uh, Blanchard is a guy that might have a breakout year this year. Patrick Levels is a guy that has a chance to at least see package time. Terrence Singleton, uh, Tyon White, Ryan Reed are guys that you should see some of. Uh, Teon Sells and Chance Waz are all guys that are in the mix on defense. Uh, the real question obviously be who, who does step forward as a leader on that defense and pass, pass pressure. I mean, who's going to be the sacker? 
who's going to be the guy that is a double-digit type sack guy? Because, once again, the way defense is played in the Big 12, successful defense usually comes from getting turnovers, getting sacks. Uh, you, you don't just shut people down, you know, just strangle them, you know, choke them out. It doesn't work that way. Uh, it just doesn't. That's not how, how defense can work, frankly. Uh, other guys to sort of keep an eye out for. Uh, Alfred Pullum is another guy to keep an eye out for to possibly uh, make an impact. Uh, Ryan Stewart. Uh, Taylor Young, and I, I think I mentioned Javon Blanchard already. I think this could be a big year for KJ Smith, uh, Javante McGee. One of those guys will need to emerge. And as I said, they have, you know, talent all over the place. This um, is on offense. Uh, on defense, it's a, frankly a question mark. I think that. Even with what's happened, this is probably a seven or eight win team with a chance to win nine. And that leaves the last two. Uh, the stalwarts from the, the you know, the Sooner State. Uh, Oklahoma's two teams, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, are, in my mind, the two teams that I think have the best chance. And I'll start with Oklahoma State. They're another team that has a guy who has a chance to really have a great year. Uh, Mason Rudolph is an, is an experienced starter. He's talented. You know, with Trevor Knight having taken his talents to Texas A&M and Cody Thomas taking his talents to baseball, uh, he's, since that happened, he's been the man. He is, you know, unchallenged, unquestioned. And with having, you know, just so done with talent, even though they've lost some guys, but being able to to have, you know, a guy like Perrine and like Ross and, you know, even with the, the transfer of Mixon, no real drop-off, really, to a certain extent. Uh, Rodney Anderson, I think, will still be a guy in the mix. It just comes down to, you know, Mayfield continuing to to play great football, and you know he's a great decision maker and plays the way that he's playing. There's no reason to believe they won't be great. Ahmad Thomas and uh, even Parker and Jordan Thomas are expected to be sort of the leaders in the secondary. Jordan Evans and uh, will be most of the guys helping to make things happen in their linebacker core, which I think is one of the larger question marks in the team. It's just how good they might be. Watch out for Jordan Wade and Matthew Romar amongst the uh, the D linemen. And if they can get just consistently solid players, you know, it's not great play. Consistently solid play on defense. They have a chance, obviously, to be there when it's all said and done. They're a really, really, really good football team. And they're I think they're the odds-on favorites to win, win it all. And their only real 
threat to them, in my mind at least, uh, is Oklahoma State, as I mentioned. So you've got Mason Rudolph, who is, you know, an experienced, talented quarterback. He sort of emerged from, at one point, an enormous quarterback muddle, uh, climbs to the top of it. They lost Tyree Kill, obviously, due to, you know, things um, that, well, but speaking of abusive women, uh, they've lost Oba, Jimmy Bean. Uh, they've had some, that's the thing that concerns me, is the losses on defense. This is why I, I, I sort of have Oklahoma State sort of one notch below Oklahoma, though Vincent Taylor, Billy Levini, uh, Jordan Burton, Beth Jacobs, uh, Ramon Richards, Jordan Stearns, and Trey Flowers are good players, and they need at least one of those guys to be a great player this year, frankly, amongst their uh, players on defense. Uh, David, uh, sorry, uh, James Washington and Juwan Seals need to have great years. Uh, Blake Jarwin probably needs to be a little bit more of their offense in the passing game, though, you know, obviously the tight end is not super important usually. Uh, Rudolph needs to have a great year, like I said. Ray Childs. And they've got good players in the offensive line. Mike Wilson, Brad Lundblade, Jesse Robinson, Zach Crabtree. Uh, they they need to also take a big step forward. If that offensive line plays great, great, great football, they have a definitive chance to be there when it's all said and done. Uh, Chris Carson. And Todd Mays are also guys that may touch the football in the uh, receiving and passing game as well. So we'll see, obviously, what happens with them. But I, I'm sort of uh, looking particularly at Zach Crabtree, who I think will be one of the leaders on that offensive line. And if that offensive line is, is not just good but great, there's no reason to believe that Oklahoma State won't be in the mix for the championship of the conference. Uh, the talent is there. I don't think there's any question about the talent of the team. Or there shouldn't be, I guess, any question about the team's talent. Uh, Are they as talented in terms of just, you know, four- and five-star signees as, say, Texas or Oklahoma? Probably not, actually. But it doesn't mean they're not as good a team. They're maybe a slightly better team than than Texas, despite not having as many big-time signees. And that's the thing that I I ask people to sort of remember about – Recruitment is recruitment is the groceries, it's not the meal. You know, the thing you actually sit down and eat is not the recruiting, it's the team. <laughs> and the team is very often something different from what you've just simply recruited to come to your school. So that's the uh, the Big 12 in a nutshell. Uh, we will be digging a little more deeply. Uh, we'll take a look at probably both the Sunbelt and Conference USA, maybe together. I don't know. I'm figuring out how I'm going to do that. Uh, next week, and uh, we'll move forward from there. I thank you all for your time and your attention.